0: Welcome to the OA Light a Canal Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering CDs for these speakers, and a place to donate to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, David. <laughs> I don't want to trip. Okay. Uh, David Rozanski, compulsive Reader. I, think I, think. I need this really badly. Okay. They should have that down there. Mm. <laughs> All right. Um, I want to thank Lizanne for asking me to uh, come and do this. Um, I want to welcome the newcomers here and the people that took chips and returnees and old friends, and um, uh, it is in this room that the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous happened for me, Um, that the speakers spoke through the fog that I had built around me, and I would sit there and Sometimes I'd fall asleep, but for the most part, okay. I'd sit and listen, <laughs> and, uh, and 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 I, and I discovered the music in the room and the magic that happens here. And uh, so that was um, it was about 13 months ago, maybe 14 months, 13 and a half months ago. Um, I came to my first meeting here, and uh, from then until now, I've been abstinent the whole time. No, you know. Um, from from that meeting till this, I have a commitment in the room. From that meeting to this, I have a sponsor, um, and uh, I've been willing to follow direction implicitly, uh, without argument, because uh, <laughs> that's a problem. Uh, and uh, and um, you know, and it's and it's completely saved my life. I mean, and that's the fact. I mean, the miracle of what goes on in this room has absolutely saved my life. Uh, my day today is a testament to God doing for me what I could not do for myself. So, I'm a cheesemonger. And, and I, uh, I'm a cheese expert. And I work with cheese. And uh, so, uh, you know, people doing the podcast, they be like, what? <laughs> like, who did you get up here? <laughs> you know, sharing recipes. Uh, um, so uh, this morning, at 6 o'clock this morning, I was frying bacon. And, uh, and I don't eat bacon anymore. And so uh, the smell was like washing over me. Oh, and it was really hard, you know. So, uh, but I didn't eat it. I didn't even think about it. I mean, I thought about how good it smelled, but beyond that, I didn't even think about putting it in my mouth, which is a miracle, because, I mean, as a chef, I'm a chef, I always ate, I never cooked anything that I did not eat constantly. I mean, I was never hungry for anything ever, because I was constantly eating what I was cooking. You know, so the fact that I could cook two pounds of bacon this morning at 6 o'clock in the morning and then cover it with cheese and make, like, these milky things, you know. (laughs) You know, I mean, it was, like, torturous for everyone around me but me. You know, um, now, I did have to taste some cheese today, and I texted my sponsor with that, and I had to uh, taste some jam today, which had, you know which was, you know, like rose petals, you know, preserved in recreational sugar, Uh, you know. uh, But I texted my sponsor, and I surrendered it the second it hit my mouth. And, uh, you know, and uh, I got through that cheese tasting, you know, and talking about cheese for two hours. Um, And then I came to a meeting of Overeaters Anonymous. And that is the miracle that went on in here. That's the miracle of Overeaters Anonymous. That is something that I have never been capable of doing. Um, you know, and that is the steps, and that is God, and that is surrender, and that is calling and texting my sponsor and bugging him every single day and just unloading myself on him. Uh, so let me just tell you a little bit what it was like, what happened, what it's like now. Uh, I grew up in Brentwood, so, um, yes, that's right, that's right. Right up the street, too. Um, right, up on, right up on Brilliant Game, just right down the street, uh, uh, you know, um, to, uh, to kind of like rich hippies, you know, in the 60s. And uh, my dad is a psychiatrist, so I'm the firstborn son of a psychiatrist. And uh, my mom would make hash brownies. So, uh, <laughs> so uh, and they like nice art in the house. And, uh, and uh, you know, I kind of grew up in this kind of Id- idyllic, loving house. You know, and I'm the firstborn. And so I am receiving all of the love that any small child could ever hope for in their entire life. I mean, really. You know, my mom didn't know how to cook, so she learned how to cook by reading Gourmet Magazine and cooking every single recipe. You know, so I I ate well. You know, and... um, You know, it it was amazing. And, I mean, you know, I'm almost 50 years old. I distinctly remember being an only child. You know, I mean, it it's a real clear memory to me. You know, and, and life was grand until I was two and a half years old and my brother Danny was born. And when my brother Danny was born, I was no longer the star of the show. Right? I was suddenly relegated to that place that I felt that I was at my entire life where I was felt like a second-class citizen, that I was no longer the focus of the attention and love, you know, and... Um, you know, and I came to feel the feelings that I would eat over and smother my entire life. You know, angst, pain, agony, like that feeling that there's a lump in my throat and... I was going to burst out into tears any moment. That feeling, you know, uh, fear that I was invisible, You um, (laughs) you know, I have written inventory after inventory after inventory looking for the causes and conditions of my overeating, and it always comes down to one thing, my first resentment, my brother Danny, you know, it is his fault that I, <laughs> you know, that I have, that I, I, I mean, it is, it is, that is the number one, that is it. It is my number one resentment. It always is. You know, it always goes back to that one. And, um, you know, and that's what I felt. I felt like I was invisible. You know, I felt like I had no voice. Um, I felt that I had lost all importance. And it was with that feeling um, that at age five, Two very, very significant things happened in my life. I had my first drink of alcohol, and I ate a year's supply of popsicles. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and, uh, and I, um, I walked into the freezer in the, in the garage... And and once I had just won a Halloween contest, so I had won, like, a year's supply of popsicles. And not just popsicles, also ice cream bars, but, you know, generally those kind of shaped things. And uh, that was on one side of the freezer, and the other side of the freezer was vodka. So I just had both. (laughs) And, uh, And I discovered there the solution to how I felt. I discovered the thing that just eased that pain. You know, um, I remember a lot of things about my life. You know, and I've forgotten a lot of things about my life. You know, and there's a lot of things in my life that are of extreme importance to me. You know, (laughs) and, uh, but that memory is burned into my consciousness. You know, that memory is like, that is it. That is what is up on a pedestal with all memories you know, the most important thing that I could put my finger on, the thing, that, the thing that killed the pain. You know, the alcohol washed it away, and the food numbed it out. You know, um, and that is what I would do for nearly the rest of my life, you know, is any time I felt loneliness, I would eat. I treat loneliness with isolation, and I eat to isolate, right? And I would drink to to participate. So, you know, I kind of like, that's how I live my life, you know? Um, You know, I, uh, I quickly, you know, evolved into a madman by the time I was 15. By the time I was 15, I was like, it was done. You know, that was, that is when my, that's when I, when I, when I, uh, I actually went to Alcoholics Anonymous when I was 15 and uh, started on this road. And, uh, you know, and when I was 17, um, I was actually 12-stepped into O-Readers Anonymous. So that was 1981. That was the first time I went to O-Readers Anonymous. By like Candy, actually, 12 steps me. <laughs> uh, what a coincidence. And, uh, um, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I mean, I didn't get it. I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. I didn't know what I was doing in the rooms of Readers anonymous. I went on the gray sheet, and I kind of, like, messed around with it a little bit. But I didn't really understand it, and I really felt separate, and I really hadn't hit bottom, and I hadn't surrendered to the fact uh, that there was really anything wrong with me. I didn't understand compulsive overeating the way I understand compulsive overeating now. You know? Then I was just fat. You know, I mean, I was used to being the fat kid. I understood that. I knew what that was like in elementary school. I always knew what it was like to be on the outside as the fat kid, you know. but I And I knew how to be that guy. But I still didn't understand that I couldn't stop, you know. <laughs> so... Um, You know, and that and that's the fact. Because I I couldn't stop. You know, um, I decided that I wanted to be a chef. I was working up at the Brentwood Country Mart up here, uh, working uh, uh, making burgers. I was I was making burgers and uh, and I would uh, I was like I'm going to be a chef because I'm like putting lettuce and Thousand Island dressing on a burger bun. I'm like I could do that for the rest of my life. So uh, so. You know, my insanity. I, uh, so, so that's what I decided to do. Meantime, I had free access to, like, chili and cheese, you know, and so I would just make, like, these big monster burgers and just, just eat, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and it, and it never got any better. I mean, when I was a chef, and I was actually a pretty skilled chef, I was insane. You know, as a chef, I was insane because it was... I was just too <laughs> as a chef you have to be an artist right so as a chef you have to be kind of be in touch with that part of you right that's creative but I couldn't be creative if I was just like eating jello shots with reckless abandon and chicken wings like you know, it's just like it, it doesn't work, you know, and uh, and that's kind of what would happen is I would I would get these jobs like you know and I'd be like well I think we have to have jello shots here because I, I like yellow shots because like it's two with one stone you know and uh, so uh, so I would you know so I just like would each other I liked it and it was pretty good and it tasted good I made really good tequila jello shots and so and so I was actually executive chef of a restaurant in Westwood. And I mean that that was kind of like it. that was like kind of like that was my meal. you know, I'd go in there I'd probably get in there you know like ten in the morning and have a beer, you know, make up some wings, cook lunch, have some oysters, you know, I mean I would just like eat all day long constantly, and then the jello shots would start at about eight o'clock, you know, and uh you know I'd get home at about two o'clock in the morning, uh, you know, and uh you know and I lived that way just. Year after year after year after year after year. You know, um, you know I have a positive talent for uh, putting myself in a position where I can get anything I want. You know, um, and, so, and so every restaurant that I'd ever work in was always the same story. You know, I mean, I had a thing for, you know, like, you know, like, like I mean, I'd go through whipped cream. You know. I like the I like the nitrous oxide too, so I would just do both. You know, <laughs> and so and so I'm very efficient. Uh, so <laughs> You know, I got busted, actually, for the whipped cream. That's very funny. They, they were like, what is up with you and all the whipped cream? Because like, it's not like we're serving brunch, you know? I mean, I just had, like, a lot of whipped cream in the premises, and uh, and, I was, and, were, and all the cans were dead, you know? Um, so, uh, so, uh, anyhow, so, anyhow, so, uh, so I, uh, so fast forward, you know, like, 32 years from my, uh, fast forward 32 years from my first meeting of O-Readers Anonymous, I am, uh, I had gotten sober, and I was about to leave a meeting, actually, and, uh, I started feeling, feeling, shooting pains running down my left arm, and, uh, I got rushed to the hospital because I was having a heart attack scare. Uh, it was a heart attack scare. It wasn't actually a heart attack, but it was a heart attack scare because they, um, I tested a false positive for a heart attack. So, uh, so, but I had also blown up to, I was about like, like maybe like 290 pounds, just shy of 300 pounds. Um, I smoked, chain smoked. Um, I couldn't, you know, I mean, God, I mean, like I couldn't get in the shower without getting out of breath. You know, I mean, I would sit on the edge of my chair and I could feel my heart rolling in my chest. You know, um, you know, there was definitely a physical consequence to the way I had been living. Even though I had arrested part of that life, you know, there was another part that just kept on going. You know, and that was the eating. The eating just never stopped. You know, I mean, like, I just happened to move next to Tito's Tacos. Right? You know, it's like, I couldn't pick any other place in the city to move. I had to move next to Tito's. Right? And then I got a job working with cheese. You know, and, um, which is a good job. I mean, it's a great job. If you're not eating it constantly. And I eat a lot of cheese. Because I work with cheese. So, I couldn't stop eating cheese, and fine charcuterie, and, uh, and I, uh, you know, and I was, I was dying. I was killing myself, and I, um, and I found myself in a hospital thinking I was having a heart attack, and, uh, you know, the doctor's like, you know, you're going to have to change something pretty quick. You know, you have to lose 100 pounds. I mean, how do you even get your head around that? I mean, how am I going to lose 100 pounds? I can't stop eating cheese. I can't... I mean, I can't do, stop doing anything. I'm completely out of control. My life is insane. You know, um, you know, I suffer from grave emotional and mental disorders. I'm absolutely out of my mind. How am I going to lose 100 pounds? I mean, I can't jog. I can't cross a street, you know? Um, and I... Uh, so, I, I knew somebody in way. And i known that he had sponsored a number of guys, and I gave him a call. My sponsor's Michael B. And I asked him if he would sponsor me. And he said, yeah, oh yeah, sure, I'll sponsor you. Of course. You know? And so I started going to Overeaters Anonymous meetings, and I got abstinent for a brief a mom- a moment in time. I got absent for briefly because I had not surrendered. I had not given up the idea that, that I was in control. I thought that I was in control. I thought that he would give me some direction, and maybe I would do the steps, and, but I, never really, I didn't really understand it, and I hadn't had a spiritual awakening, you know, in the other programs, so I didn't really pay any heed to what he had to say, and I just certainly did not understand what abstinence was. I mean, at all. I did not understand what I was supposed to be abstaining from. You know, because I would hear people in the room say, well, my absence is to be happy and to, be, and to live a life in line with God's will. And... I mean, you know, I'm not a dumb man, you know, but I still don't have any idea what that means, you know, and, um, you know, I, uh, what I, what, I need something that's written down, like in black and white, like what exactly is Recovery, you know, Readers Anonymous, because I was not hearing any of that, you know, I did not know what I was supposed to stop doing. I mean, I knew that I should follow the direction of my sponsor, and he said, eat three meals a day, so I was eating three meals a day. You know, but I mean, like, can I taste this? Can I taste that? She's like, I never stopped eating the cheese, you know, and I never put down the cheese. And I, uh, and I um, you know, and so, I mean, I, I kept on pushing it and pushing it and pushing it, you know, until one day I could say, you know, I don't think this is abstinence. Despite the fact that you say it's abstinence because I'm being 100% honest with you, I don't believe that I'm abstinent. You know, because... I'm doing exactly the same behavior. Nothing has changed at all. Except that I'm eating maybe in little blocks of time, you know, which I was kind of loosely calling meals. That was like about the only difference in my life. And so I was like, this is ridiculous. I don't have time for this crap. And I stopped wasting my time. And I stopped wasting my sponsor's time. You know, uh, until about a year and a half later. So a year and a half later, I surrendered to overeaters Anonymous, and this is how I surrendered. I had any weight that I had lost before I gained back, and more so. So I was really blowing up, you know. And I uh, so two basic things happened to me. One, um, I. I was, I was at work, and I work, you know, I work in this, like, kind of restaurant facility, and there's giant walk-in refrigerators and freezers. And inside those walk-in refri- freezers, it's like a cavern, okay, that's 20 degrees below zero, and I would store all of my bread in that cavern, okay? And there was a cave-in when I was in the freezer, and I was too wide to fit through the cave-in of the bread. Like, the bread, like, collapsed on me, so all the bread, like, boxes came down on me, and I wasn't wearing a jacket or gloves, because I was just going to be in there for a minute. I wasn't even thinking about it. And so, uh, it, I got trapped in a 20-degree blow freezer, you know, fighting for my life, because I was too fat to, to, to escape. You know? And that was a big realization for me, you know, like... I can't fit in between. I can't get to the exit. And I had to dig myself out. So, that was pretty scary, you know. And, um, you know, and that got me thinking. You know, like, I had just as I needed to surrender to Overeaters Anonymous, at that point in time, I had surrendered to the fact that I was going to die an overeater. I had surrendered to the fact that, my life was pretty much going to be this. I'm going to just eat until I have a heart attack and die, and it's probably going to be be, before I turn 50. Because that's what happens when you have heart attacks before you turn 50 usually. You know, it's quick. It's over. And that's kind of like where I figured my life would be. You know, because uh, I had surrendered to the fact that I can't stop eating and that's just the way it's going to be. Until that came in. You know, and then I kind of, then I started having a little bit of self-preservation. So, There was the cave-in. And and then the next day, uh, because, you know, these things happen in groups. uh, (laughs) The next day, uh, I was in front of an MRI clinic on Wilshire, and... uh, I just wanted to get a chocolate croissant. You know, I was standing on the steps. Uh, I was standing on the steps of an MRI cl- clinic, and I just wanted a chocolate croissant uh, over at Otis and Milo. You know, and I'm like, uh, I'm like, wow. You know, I, I'm just going to get a chocolate croissant. And I was wearing my chef clogs, and I uh, and I tripped and fell down a tiny step. that's like two inches tall, and I rolled down the sidewalk. And landed on, crushed my knees and landed on my knees, you know, like, splayed out all over the sidewalk and really, really hurt myself, you know. And, uh, you know, crushed myself. I crushed my body under my own weight. And then I called Michael again. I'm like, Michael, can you help me? Um, You know, I am, uh, and he's like, you know, are you actually willing to go to any lengths now? for your abstinence I'm like yeah I am and I'm in severe pain like I couldn't walk I was bleeding I mean it was really really bad you know the idea of an extra hundred pounds on my delicate little knees was like just too much for me and I uh, and I you know I mean I gotta tell you I mean it's a motivator pain is an excellent motivator pain is a good motivator now when it's emotional pain and I need another little surrender you know and pain and physical pain is amazing for getting me done You know, and I was done. You know, and it was at that point that I opened myself up to any direction that he had for me. You know, and that direction was actually pretty severe, you know. I mean, like, by my standards. I mean, yeah, I actually had to work at at my abstinence, you know. And so what is my abstinence? My abstinence is I abstain from compulsive overeating. And I work towards or maintain a healthy body weight, which I believe is written in the literature that I never read. If I had read it <laughs> if I had read it, I would know that uh, but i okay, so but now I know that it 's in the tools um, and uh, so that 's my abstinence, and to protect my abstinence, uh, I have a food plan and my food plan I use is Weight Watchers. And with that abstinence and that food plan, I have, I'm now down just over 93 pounds. And that's in 13 minutes. Um, and, and it's miraculous. It is miraculous because I live a life, the food that's um, has been so aptly coined is guilt-free and shame-free. What I put in my mouth is not my business. What I put in my mouth is my sponsor's business. I make my food plan at night before I go to sleep, and I write a 10-step. I write the vows, and I write a 10-step. And in the morning, I commit my food. I call him. I actually physically use my voice at 5.30 in the morning, and I call my sponsor, and I tell him what I'm going to be eating for that day and I read to him my inventory and I review my, my fears and my resentments every day. And then I read my gratitude list every day. And then, um, and then we usually read one of the daily readers. You know. And then I'm good. And I go out into my day and as I go through my day, if there's any changes, I call or text my sponsor. I surrender it. Just like I did in the morning. You know, um, if I get into trouble, like I can't stop tasting because I have to taste at work. And that is irritating at best because I have no off switch when it comes to cheese and salami. You know, so I, uh, you know, so I call him. I run to my office. I'm like, I can't stop eating the salami. And he's like, do you feel better now? I'm like, yes. And then I stop eating the salami. You know, as soon as I surrendered, it's surrendered and it's done. I don't have to continue with it, you know. And then I count for what I ate. In the Weight Watchers with the points, you know, and, uh, and I go about my day. And that is my day every day. And because of that, I'm free. You know, at night, I thank God for my abstinence. And I thank God for the friends in my life. And I thank God for the relationships that I forged here. I had no close friends when I came here. I had no close friends because I had completely eaten myself into total isolation. You know, I had this giant wall built up around me. And as I came to the meetings and as I took sponsor direction, you know, as I stood up here and did the chip commitment, okay, and gave out optional hugs, okay, which was mortifying to me when I first started doing it, you know, I have little by little chipped away at that barrier that kept the world out. You know, and now I'm living this life and it is an amazing life I never knew I could feel as good as I feel now I just had no idea you know, I'm like I am living this I'm living the life that I never I, I, I'm, having, I'm realizing dreams that I never knew I dreamt right? I have this physical well-being that I never knew was possible you know, and that is because of what goes on in these rooms That is because of what goes on in that book. You know, that is having had a spiritual awakening as a result of those steps. That's it. Thank you. Uh, Questions? No recipes, though. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Good question. Okay, how was my relationship with my brother, who, like, you know, who I wanted to kill? Uh, uh, I've had to make amends to my entire family, including my brother. So, forever a resentment, there's seemingly an amends attached to it. And, uh, and, and, and that was a big one for him. You know, because I tried to kill him. I mean, I didn't mention that, but I actually dropped a chair off a treehouse and tried to kill him. And, uh, and, and, uh, which is a big amends, you know, um, but no, I mean, we have, I, I think we have an excellent relationship because I continue to, here's things that I do. I call him and see about his welfare, you know, I, um, I, I see what I, I try to, uh, you know, I just didn't make the amends, and I'm sorry for, you know, trying to kill you and beating you up for 10 years after you were born. It was, you know, I made the amends and then and then lived the life of trying to contribute to his. You know? And it was that amend that set me free. You know, I don't resent my brother anymore. I resented him then, though. You know, but... It's, it's done, you know? And we have a good life. And, he, and I have nieces that I love, and I'm a member of that family. What's my relationship with my higher power? I, um... You know, I've really struggled with it. i got to tell you, I, uh, I came to the rooms an atheist. <clears throat> and I was told to act as if, so I did. I would act as if I believed that there was a power greater than myself. And... Um, and then, you know, I'd always heard about people like making the group their higher power or the direction of their sponsor their higher power and that is actually what I did is when I became willing to follow direction blindly is when um, the idea that there was a power greater than myself came into my life and after I had been doing that and my life started transforming then I started finding a higher power in my life external to my sponsor and that of the group and the program you know I cannot define my higher power. I can say that there is a force of good in this world and that when I pray and when I meditate and I take good actions, I'm tapping into that power of good and that goes into my life. You know? And that is as much of a definition as I can say and that's as much... But that's a pretty good relationship. You know? Because I have a lot of really amazing things in my life. So I guess the question is... Have I ever been freaked out by, the, by my recovery? Yeah, just, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to understand that. Yeah. That I'm getting freaked out by. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, here's the thing. It's like, I want to live, and I don't want to be miserable. Right. That's kind of basically it, you know? Um, so, if I want to be alive, and I want to be relatively happy then there's things that I have to do. And that's what I'm doing. And that's kind of like it. You know, it's like, um, you know, I have to take care of res- resentments immediately. Like, I have to. If I don't take care of resentments immediately, they eat me alive. Quickly. They erase all promises. Like, all the promises that are coming true in my life, gone. They just poof. They vanish. Because I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. So I just got to do what I got to do. You know, or I'll be miserable. Thank you i <laughs>